I don't know about you, but I feel like it's enough and we can go home. Um, let me let me share some things. Guys, go ahead and come down with the welcome books. Uh, just a couple of things that are going through my mind right now. One is that um, I am so grateful to... Um, to Susan Herring and to um, Rob Clan and to Eric Williams for putting the bold letters up there. I haven't talked about them for a long time, but while we were praying, I was thinking, you know, our prayers for brothers and sisters around the world are prayers for boldness. And there's a sense in which as we read through the book of Acts and we, and, and we see those letters, we think about the boldness of the church in the first century. But there's also a real powerful sense in which those are a um, reminder to us that we can't take stuff for granted and that we've got to be bold followers of Jesus because there aren't any other kinds. Um, other thing I wanted to share was... Um, you know, when, when, we, when we go back to the book of Acts and we read the history of the church, um, when we share in communion, it reminds us that we're a part of this long string of events that for Sundays, on the first day of the week, the body has gathered around the world since the first century to share together and proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. Don't know if you know this or not, but on May 10th, 1840, May 10th, 1840, a group of believers in Jesus in DeWitt, Michigan, when the city, the city was eight years old, you know, it was a town of uh, less than 100 people, got together and said, there needs to be a church here. There needs to be a place where followers of Jesus can come together and worship and proclaim his death until he comes. Um, North Point has a 175-year history going back to May 10, 1840. 175 years this year, which is cool. We're going to celebrate that over the next several months and through the summer. I want you to know that. Um, and it's not so that we can say, oh, aren't we great? It really is to be able to celebrate the story of God working in DeWitt in this area for the last 175 years. um, That we can celebrate what God has done in people's lives here and around the world. Um, So on Mother's Day weekend, uh, let me just tell you in advance. On Mother's Day weekend, we're going to have an opportunity um, here in DeWitt. And we hope in uh, St. John's and Lansing and Langsburg for for people from the church to gather friends or whatever and to just walk around the, the city. From here, we're going to walk over to where the church building used to be and uh, maybe hear a few stories, but then to just walk around the city and to pray, to pray for the city as we walk, um, to have some good conversations and to just allow God to that day help us reflect 
and dream about what he has in store for us. On uh, June the 20th, we're going to have a big celebration. Uh, it's going to be the kind of deal where we have a dinner, a uh, fancy kind of thing that we do outside. Um, and we hope that you'll be a part of that, that you'll set aside that day. That's actually Father's Day weekend. And uh, on that Saturday night, we'll have uh, a special celebration. It'll, uh, it, I, like I said, it'll be, it'll be a nice thing that we can just proclaim the goodness of God in this place and wanted to let you know that we're going to have some uh, connections available um, digitally, uh, Internet, Facebook, that kind of thing, where if you've been around a long time or if you have pictures or can tell stories, um, we want you to share those so that we can share those together as well. Um, take your Bibles back out and go to Acts chapter eight. And I want to um, I want to share what happens as a result of the persecution That we read about. Beginning in verse 4. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that's called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of Uh, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles he performed and and seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Um, Simon the sorcerer is the, is the, the, the descriptor that I know of uh, when I was growing up, I first heard this story. That's, that was his name, Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the Magician. Um, what happens as a result of the first three verses of Acts chapter 8, because of the stoning of Stephen, the believers in Jesus are scattered from Jerusalem all through Judea and Samaria. Um, when, you, when you begin to say those words, you hear the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, right? Jesus said, you'll be filled with power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. By chapter 8, that's beginning to happen. That, those circles are expanding. And, and so Philip, who's not one of the apostles, because it says the apostles stay there. Philip is actually one of the deacons that are mentioned in Acts chapter 6 that we, that we looked at uh, just real quickly last week. Um, Philip is one of those deacons. Philip ends up in Samaria, in the city of Samaria, and begins to, to teach and preach there. He begins to do miracles, to, to heal people, and to cast out demons. And there's this guy who lives in town there named Simon. Simon is a, is a guy who has, he's, he's, when you look at the language, he probably was dabbling in the occult. He had some, some powers. He wasn't a magician like David Copperfield, you know, cut the body in half kind of thing. Not that kind of magician. He, he was able to do things, but not by the power of God, but proclaimed himself to be the connector between the people of Samaria and God. Um, Philip comes in 
and begins to teach and preach, begins to heal and cast out demons. And the people of Samaria recognize what the real deal is and what the false deal was. Um, I want to just share some random thoughts from this this, uh, passage of Scripture. The first is this. The people of Samaria, and Simon specifically, they recognized what was real and what wasn't. You may be here this morning and kind of going through the motions of following Jesus. It may be that you come this morning with lots of questions. What's it mean to follow Jesus? Who is this Jesus? The challenge for us all this morning is to recognize what's real and what isn't. You know, when we talk about the persecution, the persecuted church now, um, you don't die for something that's a fake. You don't put your life on the line believing in something that you know is not real. Simon recognized what was at stake and, and came to believe. Simon was kind of a celebrity in Samaria. Um, I don't know about you, but it seems like we hear all the times about celebrities coming to follow Jesus, right? And lots of times they don't endure. If I think back to my teenage years, I remember um, B.J. Thomas. All you old people remember the name B.J. Thomas? Um, Raindrops keep falling on my head. Uh, I remember when he became a Christian. I remember when Larry Flint the king of pornography, Hustler Magazine, reportedly became a Christian. Neither of those really lasted at all. Um, I remember when Bob Dylan uh, came to faith in Jesus, did an album that he he wrote a song, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Just recently, in the last 10 years, there have been reports that Jane Fonda, somebody who's lived their life far from God, came to be a follower of Jesus. If you read a lot of the stuff that she's written, um, I don't know what to tell you. I think that God's doing some stuff in her, but um, there's, it's, it's hard to be a celebrity and follow Jesus, isn't it? Why is, why is that so hard? I think, I think it's hard because celebrities are used to people catering to all of their needs. No, they're taken care of all the time. There are people fawning all all over them. And so the whole idea that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, is completely upside down. The whole idea that Jesus said, um, if if you're serious about following me, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. That's completely counterculture to the life of a celebrity. I think many celebrities, um, they're, they're, they're kind of the picture for Jesus' parable. When he talked about the seed being scattered and the seed that falls on rocky ground, it, it gets in that ground and it takes root and the shoot comes up, but then it shrivels up and dies because it doesn't have the ability to dig deep roots. That's oftentimes the lives of many celebrities. But Simon, interestingly enough, recognizes what is real and wants that. He becomes a follower of Jesus. Uh, You'll see in those verses there's a connection between um, believers and baptism. We've been talking about that. You'll see that through the process. It was a normal part of of what happened. When somebody came to belief, they were were baptized. Uh, Verse 14 says this then. 
When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Pause for just a second. Um, it's important to, uh, to understand Samaria was a region in the northern part of where the kingdom of, of Israel had been. The people who lived in Samaria, they were the descendants of both Jews and Assyrians that had intermarried. The Jews that lived in Judea looked down on the Samaritans. They thought that they were second-class citizens because they had this lineage that was, that was um, spoiled, that was polluted, that wasn't pure. And so the Jews didn't really like the Samaritans at all. They would do everything they could to avoid them. And so when Philip goes to Samaria, even though Jesus had said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. When Philip goes to Samaria and the Samaritans begin to believe, the apostles don't know what to do with that because they've always thought the Samaritans, they're terrible. They're not a part of our culture. They're not a part of what God is doing. So Peter and John come down. And they see what's going on and they realize that the Holy Spirit hasn't come to Samaria in the same way that it did in Jerusalem. And by that, they're not talking about the spirit of God coming in and living inside believers. They're talking about supernatural kinds of things, the ability to, to do miracles, to heal, to, um, uh, to cast out demons, the, the ability to speak in tongues. When they say that, um, that the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them, that's what's being described there. And and that um, and so they uh, in verse 17 says they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to them, Peter, Peter had the ability to look into his heart and said, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You've neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. That means extreme wickedness. You're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You're a slave to sin. You've got a connection to sin that you can't get rid of. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing what you have said may come upon me. Simon recognized what was real in Philip's teaching. He recognized what was real in the power of God. But he still had roots of stuff that were stuck in his heart from being a celebrity that got in the way. And Peter called him on it. Simon had a choice at that point in time in terms of how he was going to respond. He could walk away and say, what are you talking about? I've, you know, everything's under control. I'm, I'm good. Instead, Simon repented and said, pray, intercede for me so that my heart won't be in that condition that you just described. So that God can get in me and make everything right and clean me out. I think that there's a challenge for us this morning to recognize what the motivation is that we have to serve Jesus. And when that motivation's bad, to repent of that and to allow God to change us 
from the inside out. Motivation matters, right? Motivation matters in everything. Wives, if your husband gets you a Christmas present and you realize that it was bought on December 24th at 4 p.m. on the Internet, how does that make you feel? Motivation matters, right? It's not just that you got a gift. You want to know that he was thinking, that he was planning, that he was doing everything that he could. Motivation matters. Um, What's your motivation? What's your motivation for following Jesus? We live in a society where the focus is on ourselves almost exclusively. What's your motivation for following Jesus? For some of us, I think, we choose to follow Jesus because we think that it will help me. We choose Jesus because he'll help me. Sometimes we choose Jesus because we think that if we have Jesus, he will empower us, that he'll give us the power to rise above our circumstances, that he'll give us the power to say no to sin, that he'll, we do it so that we will have that ability sounds an awful lot like Simon. Sometimes we follow Jesus. We choose to follow Jesus because we think, you know what, if I follow Jesus, it will free me from all the junk in my life. It'll, it'll free me from the broken relationships. It'll free me from my troubled past. It will free me from my addictions. It will free me from all the carnage that is left in my past. And our relationship with Jesus is more about us than it is about him. Sometimes I think we follow Jesus because we believe that if we follow Jesus, people will look up to us. We think, oh, that's, that's a good person. He's a good person. And we do it in our heart of hearts for reputation and for the appearance of others. Let me ask you a question. Would you still choose Jesus even if it meant that none of the junk in your life would go away? Would you still choose Jesus even if you realized it didn't change your circumstances at all? Would you still choose Jesus if you recognized that it meant that your body would be beaten? That, would you, that you would give up your spouse or your children for the sake of the gospel? Would you choose Jesus simply because he loves you and you want to love him back? Because of who God is, that's the call for us. You know, when you read through those first 25 verses of Acts, I think that there are three questions that help us define boldness, that help us, that help clarify for us what it means to be bold. Uh, Band, go ahead and come on out if, if you would. Here it is. Here are, the, here are the questions. Are you willing to die for Jesus? That's, for most of us, a theoretical question. But I hope this morning you've had this sense that that's a real possibility. That's a reality in the world around us. 
questions that define boldness for us. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Second question, are you willing to allow those whom you love the most to die for Jesus? And the third question, what's your motivation for following Jesus? Those are all introspective questions. They're questions I think that we, that we have to chew on. We go home and over lunch have a conversation. That we go home tonight and sit down by ourselves and have a conversation with God. Because to follow Jesus means that we're willing to give up everything for him. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. It may be that you're here this morning and you're thinking, wow, what did I walk into this morning? This is a happy place, Um, right? Talking about death and destruction. Talking about sacrificing ourselves. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the biggest thing I want you to understand is that there is a God who loves you desperately, who loves you so much that he would send his son to die so that you could live eternally. I love the phrase that's in Leanna's prayer where she says, you know what, if the people come, if there's bloodshed, don't forsake Jesus. Close your eyes and we'll wake up in his presence. We have the hope through Jesus of eternity that this world is not the end. There's more to it than, than what we experience right now. And that's, that's what we hold on to. That's not why we love Jesus. We love him because he loved us first. That's what it's about. Simply because he loved us first. But we've got to spend some time just kind of sorting through that. Um, we're going to finish the service with a couple of songs. And I just encourage you as we sing to pray to allow God to talk to you. If, you've, if you want to have a conversation about who Jesus is, what it means to follow him, come down, come, come talk to me, uh, come talk to one of the elders or uh, one, a small group leader, somebody, find somebody and let them, uh, let them tell you about Jesus. Let's stand together. Let's sing.